Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, the first hour is the time to do it. It is um, going to try to get a little bit of sanity. When I try to do that, I normally talk to Gerald and see if he can steer me in the right direction, talk me off the ledge, whatever the process is, depending on what's going on. He want to get his thoughts, um, kind of after-the-fact thoughts on occasions in spring, but also the NFL draft. And then we'll be talking, as we do most Tuesdays, UL softball with, with Bobby Nova. I think it's a um, lot of still unanswered questions with the softball team, and we'll continue to. To monitor that, it is kind of a big Tuesday. Cajuns are playing at LSU. And when I say big, it's more about like, you know, RPI kind of situations. Uh, Coach Deggs talked about that yesterday. I don't think it's a good time for the Cajuns to be playing LSU. I, I just, it's not a good time for it, but it is what it is. I mean, you schedule it. You don't know what your situation is going to be like going into it. So we'll see what happens. But um, you have that. McNeese softball's playing LSU softball tonight. You know, this isn't like one of LSU softball's best teams, but their RPI is five. Like, I looked at it this morning. I'm like, it's five. So I don't I don't know. I, I don't think this is an unwinnable game for McNeese. They'll have to play really well. Um I mean, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily predict them to win, but McNeese's RPI right now is sixty. So, if they beat LSU tonight, what's your like? What's the most you think? Like for the Cajun baseball and McNeese softball, if they would, let's say they both get upsets tonight over LSU. Not likely, but let's say they do. Like, what's the what's the most you think they could jump up? Uh, I like would, ten spots. Yeah, yeah, about ten. Now, I think so. Cajun baseball would have a chance to jump further because they're further down. So they're in the seventies now. So I think you have a chance to go up a few more spots because you know the further you are down, the more space there is to make up, and you start to see a little bit of a smaller gap, but. Yeah, I mean, if the Cajuns win, I'd expect them to to jump somewhere into the mid sixties, mid to mid to upper sixties, um, maybe the low six. Again, I it's a little late in the year for those big RPI jumps now because you have a lot of data, and and the more data there is in, then smaller leaps that happen. But it would still be a big one for McNeese. I would expect them to maybe get to the low fifties um, as kind of being their best case scenario. It doesn't it. it if you're UL, now the good news is if you lose, you still might go up a spot or two if you're UL because it's going to increase your strength of schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you'll go up a few. See, what I'm trying to figure out for McNeese is 
I heard the conversation between Raymond and Jim, and, and, and I wonder, like, how many, I'd have, we'd have to go back and look, but how many of the four seeds would he, like, to me, if McNeese gets in, they're going to be a three seed, because aren't the four seeds yes. pretty much all automatic qualifiers? Yes, because... Or are they all automatic qualifiers? It's usually all automatic qualifiers because, remember, you have, let's say, there's 30 conferences, I think it is. Yeah. Um, so so they will all be automatic qualifiers, teams that would never be in except for they automatically qualify. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So they would have to be a three seed. Most likely. And, you know, if they would lose to Southeastern, just say, in the finals of the Southland Conference Tournament, I... You know, Southeastern's RPI right now is in the 60s as well. I think it's 67 when I looked yesterday. So I don't, I don't, I don't know why they can't get in. Yeah, you probably like he said. You probably need to beat LSU now. McNeese has a couple of interesting games left, and I think again part of that is as we mentioned the fact that Southeastern and, and some teams in the in the Southland aren't as bad, and they play Southeastern on the road next weekend. So. You have a chance there, not only to if you potentially beat LSU, but then you play Southeastern. If you if you let's say beat them two out of three or sweep them in the regular season, and you get down the stretch and you you win out the rest of your games that you should win, your RPI. I mean, you got a chance to get into the mid to high forties, I would think, and that's putting you right on the bubble. So, you know, then look, it, it, the selection committee is going to do what it does, and I guess at that point you're starting to think about. You know, sometimes those conferences have a situation like um, where their best team would get in anyway. You know, those kind of two-bid leagues where it's like there's one team that would get in regardless, but anyone else wouldn't. You need that's those one teams to win, right? You don't need any extra surprise right. bids being thrown in. They'd probably be in that conversation. But, yeah, I don't think it's a done deal, but I think McNeese is probably going to be in a pretty similar situation to the Cajuns baseball-wise. Like, you better win just about every you know, for the Cajuns, I think it's more series than game. You're not going to win every game the rest of the way, but you better win just about every series and then make a decent run in the tournament, and then you're hoping you're right there on the bubble. You're not going to be comfortable regardless. And I don't think... Um, I don't... I don't... I think McNeese softball is in a little better shape. I mean, that. that, that I mean, yeah, I think, I think McNeese softball is in a little better shape, but we'll we'll see. Again... It's Tuesday. It's midweek. Um, the the only argument I'd make to that is I think they're in better shape, but I think the Cajuns have more opportunities left. Um, whereas, but in softball, also you're a little less prone to the whole anybody can win on any given day thing. A little yeah. bit less likely. But the Cajuns have more of those games. They have the Coastal Series, the Southern Miss Series, the Texas State Series. Whereas McNeese has Southeastern and LSU are their only good RPI opponents left. All right, and so yeah, it, it it's uh you know it's an interesting uh, Tuesday kind of normally be kind of blah, but uh, you know the Cajuns playing Southeastern, um, you know Southeastern as I said they they got an RPI of sixty seven, they still a lot of bases. We'll see how how that game goes. That's a, that's something that Coach Glasgow has been reminding us of. Uh, here and there during the year, how much better they are at stopping the running game. And I think that's a big reason why Victoria Valdez has been playing more catcher, and we'll talk about that later. All right, Astros last night. Wow, you know, we talked about it in a different team last week. 
when, when someone who's a pretty good pitcher and I, you know, Gossman's career still doesn't make much, a whole lot of sense to me, but, um, he's, you know, the last few years has been a pretty good pitcher. And so far this year has been a pretty good pitcher. And the Cajun, I mean, the Cajun, this, the Astros just blasting him for seven runs in the first inning. So the, your first reaction is, uh, somebody was tipping or something. Now, what they were doing was laying off the slider. And if you listen to the commentary, it was, it just wasn't breaking. The slider wasn't breaking was what the commentary was. Now, you know, who knows? Maybe it was just a bad night. Maybe it was just the Astros got a look. You know, it was almost like, all right, after getting blown out on national TV against the Rangers on Sunday night and Jose Abreu looking scared of the ball and not really driving the ball, it was like, all right, folks, uh, you know, let's not get carried away with how bad this team is and how they have no hope and all this kind of stuff. And it was almost like that seven-run first inning was like, all right, let's just calm down. We're still a good baseball team. Jose, you know, it's funny that Jose Abreu, he needs to, um, you know, every time he's really crushed a ball this year, it's been at home and the ball been to center field where they weren't home runs. But, you know, again, he's going to need to start driving the ball to right field. He's got power to right. You can hit home runs as a right-handed hitter. The opposite field fairly easily in Minute Maid Park and certainly in the Crawford boxes. So he's going to have to discover the Crawford boxes. He's going to have to. Now, what I really like about him is he goes to right field, not so much for home runs, but he, he knows how to just get those singles to right field. And though that's the kind of stuff that keeps you out of long slumps to me, uh, especially as more of a power hitter. Now, again, I don't, I don't. It's it's very possible, probably likely, that his thirty home run days are over. But he's gonna have to hit some, and he's gonna have to learn how to start doing that. But he did get a double off the wall against Kiermaier, who's a top notch center fielder, and and. Uh, he wasn't able to corral it up against the wall. So it was um it was good. It, it you know, it was it was just good to see. It was good to have an easy win. They haven't had they haven't had the lead hardly this season. It seems like hardly ever. I mean, they 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 just constantly behind. I did not like that Christian Javier only went five innings, but I know he had two innings in there where he threw a lot of pitches, so okay. Uh, Mayton is looking great early. You know, he I didn't think he pitched very well last season. Um, and then he did the silly little thing where he um, broke his hand. Two years in the playoffs, he pitched fabulous. So we'll see how, how that plays out uh, with him. But, I mean, again, if, you know, Seth Martinez is a little bit of a question mark. So far, uh, Blanco's been a little bit of a question mark. I still have high hopes for him. So they might need Maton to to be good. I, I think the rest of their bullpen is fabulous, and you know they're gonna they're gonna be fine as long as everyone's healthy. You never know about the health factor, but no, look, you know my goal right now: just don't get swept. And it's nice when you win the first game of the series. 
because the other games feel a little more lanyapi. Now, you're going to Atlanta this weekend. The Braves are obviously very good. Uh, I'd like to win this series. But, um, you know, last year, the six games, I think five of the six games was like one run with the Blue Jays and one of them was two runs. And 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 you just when things felt different, I don't know why they didn't start Espinal. The Astros could not get this cat Espinal, who I didn't even know last year, the first time they played, I even knew who that guy was, Espinal. They could not get him out. So they don't start him. The Astros have the big seven-run inning. It's a blowout game all the way. And they pinch hit Espinal in like the eighth inning. Guess what he does? Home run almost off the, off the park. They cannot get that guy out. And he's, he was hitting like 053. So I guess you could argue he was due. He was. But the Astros are due to get that cat out. Espinal. He hit the ball just way, way out. Crushed it. 053 hitter. He just hit it 800 feet. They cannot get that guy out. Espinal. The I don't know. The Blue Jays, I don't know why they didn't start that guy. I'd start him. The Astros can't get him out. Espinal. Unbelievable. Hit the ball 800 feet last night. I had uh, I had checked out by that point. I was feeling confident in the victory. I didn't see his at bat. I'm I'm, oh. I'm I'm sad I missed it though. He crushed it. I'm like. I was telling Michelle, I'm like, man, I don't know why they didn't start this guy because last year we couldn't get him out. Every time he came up with two outs, he would get a hit. I was like, man, get this guy out. He crushed the ball. I mean, it didn't mean anything. They were up 9-1. to one. Although, I kind of like the symmetry of winning 9-1 to one because they had lost 9-1 to one the night before. So I was kind of hoping they'd win 9-1, to one, but 9-2, to two, it's roughly the same. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Major League Baseball is back. And it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million dollar arm because I got to... Oh, I got a good idea about that five-cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah! What? Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Uh, again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. We talked about McNeese playing LSU in softball. Cajuns playing Southeastern tonight at home at 6 o'clock on Lampson Park. We'll talk more about that in the next hour. And the Cajuns playing at LSU. Cajuns are starting Carson Fluno, who was injured at the beginning of the season, didn't pitch very much. <clears throat> and he's done a good job uh, on the back end. He's had a pretty nice season. He's got three saves. and He hasn't given up many runs this year. He's done a good job now. You know, he hasn't faced LSU's lineup on the road, so that's a whole different deal, and he hasn't started any games. So this is his first start, and this will be Javen Coleman's first appearance for LSU. He hasn't pitched yet this season. So um, 
you know, both coaches or coaching staffs are putting out starting pitchers a little bit on the experimental side in this game, which is, you know, midweek games. That's not unusual. So we'll see how, you know, there's not a whole lot to realize how it's going to work. Again, Fluno's pitched well, but he's not started before. So kind of a new role. I think he's had 12 or 13 outings, and they've all been in in in, uh, in relief. And I think that points to what we anticipated, that you're going to see probably five or six guys. I don't think Fluno goes more than, I mean, maybe three innings would be best case, I would guess. Yeah, I would think three innings would be best case. Um you know, I think it's a situation where if they would happen to get a lead, you know, he might try to pitch someone who he wouldn't pitch maybe necessarily and if they were, fell behind early on. You know, if the Cajuns fall behind early on, it might get really ugly. Yeah, like, well, that I mean, because right. that's just It might get really up. ugly. But he mentioned Rawls might be the, a candidate for that, right? Because he, he wants yeah, to save him, I mean, but I, he said he might pitch him if he has to. He did say that, but I, I can't believe he would throw him even though he's a four or five inning guy because there's no way he's going to throw more than one inning unless he has like a really economical inning and then be the Friday night starter. You know, like because as of now, he's planning on him starting Friday night in Virginia. So, um, you know, but yeah, normally if if he wasn't if he was playing the same role he would all year, they got a lead that he would probably put him in try to get four or five innings out of him. And just and, and just go for it. But again, the, the game situations will dictate all of that. So we'll see how that plays out. All right. Um, again, uh, now the first hour is the best time to call if you would like to. 706-0111, 706-0111. Last night, I did not see much, but I did see some of the Kings-Warriors game. And the thing that, and I didn't, stay up to the end, but the thing that um, strikes me about the Kings winning again to go up 2-0 in the Warriors is the Kings didn't have a great shooting night. Like, they they were 9 of 38 from three-point land. The Warriors made four more three-pointers than they did, and the Kings still won. And so... You know, for those that are just assuming that the Warriors were going to beat the Kings because they're the Kings and they haven't had success in the playoffs since the Lakers cheated them all them years ago. Um, I, I, I feel like if they had played two just super fantabulous games, then... You say, well, they were just all fired up. They had the crowd, which was extra loud and extra enthusiastic because of the novelty of it. And the Warriors haven't been great road team this year anyway. And so, but I, I think if for someone who kind of hopes the Kings win the series, well, I really hope the Kings win the series. The fact that that they didn't have this great shooting night and they were still able to win, I, I think that's pretty encouraging. So, um. We'll see how that goes. The other one, no one really expected anything different from the Sixers, of course. You know, I guess you could say the same thing about the Bucks, and we'll, we'll see what happened there. So certainly any thoughts you have on um, the NBA playoffs, um, 
can can certainly discuss that. Uh, NFL, I I don't know that I've been surprised with any of the reaction. I've I've heard uh, from the news <clears throat> that kind of broke while we were on the air yesterday with the Jalen Hurts mega contract, and we immediately kind of tried to figure out like what does this mean in the big picture. Uh, you know, I saw some, it's, you know, I saw some, it's not going to matter for Lamar Jackson. I, you know, I got to believe the Ravens really liked what happened and what they saw out of it and how it impacts their negotiation. And so we'll continue to to kind of follow that. But the thing that, Brock Purdy saying that he doesn't know if he's going to play next season. It's kind of strange because, first of all, why would you say anything? But Lynch, not that long ago, was publicly saying Brock Purdy's earned the right to be the starting quarterback. And then now, I don't know, three weeks later, two weeks later, whatever it is, a month later, whatever, Brock Purdy, after a surgery, is saying, I don't know if I'll be able to play all season because of the after the surgery. So, <clears throat> like, if you're the cheaters, what are you doing? I mean, are you are do you still, you know, the whole Trey Lance situation is just still so bizarre to me. I mean, it's like, I don't I can't believe they did it when they did it, what they did. And here we are all these years later, and the Cats still hadn't played. I guess maybe our perception of him being a total unknown, I guess to to them he's still he's not a total unknown because they've at least seen him in practice. But I don't know how much you get out of that. I mean, you get a little bit, but I don't know how much you really get out of that. And he's played so little. And so you got to wonder, you know, there's people that have been trying to get Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers to the cheaters forever. I mean, because they're both – you know, 49 lovers and all that stuff. But uh, it kind of made you can kind of see that now. Well, yeah, maybe. But also, I think the Sam Darnold signing kind of, you know, it, make, it made sense when they did it. And I think, you know, I don't know if they knew more about Purdy at the time when they made that move or not. But I mean, like, there's a real legitimate chance that Sam Darnold's their opening day starter. And I don't know if they feel great about that. But, you know, if Lance. I think I guess if Lance is healthy, it'd probably be him. But that's also seems pretty up in the air. So I mean, it's you know, it's something that you all's gonna deal with. Like with Ben Woldridge, we're gonna go through this whole offseason, like not only knowing if he's healthy, but not knowing if he would be the starter if he was healthy. Like it's it's a weird dynamic, and I don't know. I I guess I guess well, they can make if a trade for healthy, Rogers, There's but, very little doubt in my mind that Ben will be the starter. But well, same I don't with know Lance, he'll though. Be healthy. I, I think that would be the same situation. Ooh, I don't know. I, I think. I mean, you already had your GM say he's earned the right to be the starter, but that was because Lance got hurt. Like you know, I just we don't know that that outcome whether <laughs> if if Lance stays healthy. And plays. Well, I don't think it's going to matter because why would Purdy even say that if he had a chance of being ready to play this year? Yeah, no. But I mean, I, mean, and I don't so know then why becomes... you would even say that. But. Um, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to go to the cheaters because I, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm wrong here. I just feel like Shanahan's one of those guys that 
he wants the credit. Like he 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 wants to win without a big time quarterback. Like he does, and he doesn't need a big time quarterback. He just doesn't the way they do things. And so, um, I don't know. I don't see it happening. But I, but for those people nationally that have been pushing it, you got. If I'm a Jets fan, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried if I'm a Jets fan, um, but. I don't. I still don't think they're going to go that route. But the 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 Brock Purdy news in or just hearing him say that I, I thought was it was pretty interesting in trying to figure out the whole um, late off season pre draft and maybe right after the draft quarterback carousel. Um, and as far as the, we're going to get to the draft in a little bit, but I think I'm more confused than ever. I think I'm. I think I feel myself buying all the Bryce Young talk, which I hate. I, I, I hate that it's it's looking more like it's a done deal. Now they might just, you know, we might get shocked at the end on draft day, nine days from now, and then I'm gonna be like, Man, why did I believe all this, you know, false narrative stuff? But, you know, more more just about everybody now is like, okay, it's a done deal. They're 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 picking Bryce Young. But even then, like the Texans the reason why it's so believable that the Texans might not pick a quarterback is they're the Texans. Like they do things differently. And Caseri is does not come from a pick a quarterback in the first round background at all so that's believable too the other thing that's interesting about this is I didn't know it until I'll find out this week that CJ Stroud's agent is the same agent for Deshaun Watson and things didn't go all that well between the Texans and Deshaun Watson so that doesn't mean that they can't pick C.J. Shroud, but it's just another element in making you think, hmm. You know, all of us were thinking he was going to pick. Well, the Texans were going to pick a quarterback at two, except for I, I have mentioned and had the thought, like D'Amico Ryan is a defensive guy, their new head coach. Um, does he not want – he's got – the best players in this draft are not quarterbacks. The best players in this draft are defensive linemen, edge rusher, whatever you want to call them, and, and you know, in quarter, um, inside guy. So defensive line, front seven guys are the best, most talented, highest graded guys in this draft. So if you're a defensive guy, it does kind of make sense that you would draft the most talented guy to, to kind of build begin building your defense with. So I can kind of see that as well. But, uh, man, trying to do a mock now with that curveball is interesting. We'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline 706-0111. 706-0111. All right. So I decided to. It's been a few days. Got a little distracted from the NFL draft. And I decided, okay, let me go look at a couple mock drafts and see if we got any new names being tossed out there. And I guess to my chagrin, I you know, I some of the predictions that I see just don't they just don't make any sense to me. So one of these I've seen earlier, way, you know, months ago, and I haven't seen it in a while, and it's kind of resurfaced. And the other one I have not seen as a potential Saints first round pick. Neither one of them, my first reaction, I gotta tell you to both of them, is no way. Uh, but I guess, again, in this effort to not want to be surprised, not get caught off guard, that we have to consider all of it. The first one is wide receiver Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss. He's 6'2", 220, so he's kind of a blockout receiver a little bit, so I guess that's good. And he's got any he, his 40 time is supposedly 4'4", four, four, uh, 6", so... When you're 6'2 and you run that fast, and it's, uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. The wide receivers from Ole Miss have had mixed results. Some of them have done really well in the NFL, and some of them have been total bust in the NFL. So I guess that's kind of a mix. I, for most of the last 20 years or so, have been totally against the concept of picking a wide receiver in the first round. The way things are going in the college game, the pro game has done, I guess you would consider a good job or certainly a um, self-serving job of, for whatever reason, the way that they're running offenses in, in the NFL now is more suitable to guys making a quicker transition from college, it seems, than it was, you know, even five years ago, but certainly 10, 15, and 20 years ago. Um, so I guess I'm a little, just a little bit more open to, to listening to the concept of picking a wide receiver. At least it's like a 6'2", 220-pound wide receiver that that someone is predicting, you know, not one of these little you know, what I call midget receivers, little fast guys. I mean, you don't want to pick that in the first round. Uh, I I still say no to this, but it's, a, again, it's another name. I, I just can't, I don't think wide receiver. I don't think they're going to pick wide receiver. Although, I do agree that you have to look at Michael Thomas as Lanya. You have to. Like, you cannot count on that guy being there. Like, I think the Saints are messing up if they say, well, what do we need to pick a receiver for? Michael Thomas restruck. Well, no, that, that that can't be the thought. Like, I don't even want him thinking that. I want him thinking, like, I think everybody else on their depth chart should be written in ink, and Michael Thomas has to be written in pencil. You cannot count on that guy being there. Just like Zion, like we've been talking about forever, you know, the last few months. And, and it's different with basketball, and we've explained some of that, but – or discuss some of that, but 
even in football, I mean, you can't count on Michael Thomas. I mean, if he's there, great. But to to say I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that, uh, you can't do that because there's no reason to believe that he's going to be there. There just is no reason to believe he's going to play. You hope that he does. All right, so the second guy is B.J. Ojolari. I saw I saw him a little bit early, but but really, really I think he's going in the second round. I guess I would think that there's more of a chance of them getting him at 40 than 29. He's 6'2", 248, so he's more like a Nolan Smith who we have talked quite a bit about and in, in his potential impact with the Saints. Any other year than this year, I would have completely dismissed it and almost laughed it off, this concept that they would pick a smaller edge rusher because the Saints have never been interested in that, never. Even before Genius, I mean, Casper uh, got here, um, even, you know, they've always picked the, you know, the, you know, the Darren Howard, Cameron Jordan type defensive ends. They've never gone for this smaller edge rusher guy. Now, again, the reason why this year, because they hired a new defensive line coach, there's this thought out there. I still am not saying I buy it, but I'm just saying I'm willing to listen. And by the way, um, the the plan is to talk to Luke on Thursday and again, catch up with Luke. And that's one of the main things I want to get to see of Luke's buying that that thought process with the new defensive line coach, Grantham. Because you got a new defensive line coach, but it's still the same defensive coordinator or the guy running the defense. I mean, it, it's still the same guy. So uh, maybe they noticed some things that weren't good enough last year because while they got a lot of sacks, they didn't get a lot of pressures compared to other people. And so they, they do need to, if they decide to go a different route, I'm willing to listen to it. And Ojolari would kind of fit into that mold. But he's not known as being good against the run. And to me, you still, I don't, do you really? I just think you, you, you pick one of these edge guys, especially if they're not known for being really good against the run, your chance of that guy being a bust is pretty high. I just, I would say no to both of these. But again, that's two names. We've mentioned B.J. Ojolari once or twice, but not really focused on it at all. Um, I would say no on Mingo and, and no on, on Ojolari. Now, if they pick those two guys, either one of them in the second round, I don't know that I'd be overly upset because, again, can't count on Michael Thomas. I don't think they're going to pick a receiver in the first or second round, but I'd be open to it. Edge rusher, I think it's possible that they would pick one. Um, most of us have been thinking more the interior of the, of the front seven of the defensive line, not really an edge rusher. But, again, I think if Nolan Smith's there and they pick him, I don't think I'm going to be shocked, but I don't think Nolan Smith's going to be there. So it's, uh, again, two new names. We want to look into it because I don't want to be caught off guard. I I just don't. Um, I just, Manny seems to be okay with being caught off guard. I want no part of that deal. Oh, it's just 
too much thought is going into this. You get caught off guard and you're like, what in the world? You just feel so unsettled, at least I do. Nine more days and then we're going to find out. Take a time out. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Once again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111, On this Tuesday, kind of feeling good because the Astros uh, beat the Blue Jays last night handily, 9-2, scored seven runs in the first inning. And one of the things that I like is when they have a big game like that offensively, and El Pedro Grande has next to, close to nothing to do with it. And even Icky didn't have a whole lot to do with it because those guys have been carrying the offense all season long, and it's nice when you can do things without needing them. <clears throat> By the way, Corey Jolks had a homer and a double in that game. So far this season... The Astros are eight and two when Corey Jokes starts in left field. Eight and two. They only have eight wins. So that means they're 0 and seven when Corey Jokes doesn't start. And they're eight and two when Corey Jokes does start. Now, when you're talking about a guy, you know, in the big leagues for the first time, it's hard for me to believe he makes that big of a difference, especially this early in the season, but that's pretty dramatic numbers. 8 and 2 versus 0 and 7. So, I think for the foreseeable future, I again, I don't know how much. I really. Now he's played well. He's hitting over 300. He's got a couple home runs. I mean, it's not like he's not played well cuz he has. But I can't believe he makes that big of a difference. But for the foreseeable future, I think I would start Corey Jokes and just see how long you can, you know, might as well ride it. It's not like you have a lot of great options other than this. You know, it's funny because I've told, you know, and it's not just my daughter, Riley. My daughter, Riley, is a big McCormick fan. So McCormick's out right now with vision issues. And Dawson was telling us me before the bleacher have been trying to figure out what that means, that it's more of a concussion thing. But to me, if it's a concussion thing, then just say concussion. I mean, I, I don't know. Don't Anyway, and so a lot of people are really down on Myers. So the problem with being quote-unquote down on someone on your favorite team 
is you don't really enjoy when they hit a home run. Now, am I high on Jake Myers? No. Uh, do I question whether he, you know, I don't think if it was up to me, I wouldn't have put him in the opening day lineup. I would only start him if I absolutely had to, but I don't hate him. And so I'm still able to enjoy when he hits a three run homer like he did last night. I want to see Jose Abreu do what he did last night, which is hit a three run homer to right field, which is what, what, what Myers did. Um, I um but no, I mean this Corey Jokes thing, it's it's all it almost kind of makes you you giggle because you don't really believe it's all about Corey Jokes. But for the foreseeable future, if I'm Dusty, so I'm I would think someone's told Dusty this. Cause it's not something that you might not necessarily even realize unless someone points it out to you. But I mean, I would try it at least for a little while. I did want to just quickly jump in. I, I'm now seeing the vision issues thing. I went back and looked at some of the reports. I, I don't see anything about concussion-like symptoms, so I guess it it's saying it's vision issues. He said it's improving. Um, it does seem strange. said he had some blurry vision, and um, he's been getting treated for it. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a I mean, he was injury. hitting okay. I mean, we're talking about hitting a baseball here. Right. Vision is everything. So I I guess that's why he's sitting out until it fully gets figured out um but they done they didn't really specify what they think is causing or whatever but they said that it's improving so vision issues that is what what could that mean again i don't know anything about eyes other than i probably have bad eyes because i've been looking at computers my whole life but um and i certainly need glasses to read but i don't i mean what could that be like i just don't remember this happening to other people in the past to say, well, yeah, I remember when so-and-so had this. I I, I don't know. It just sounds crazy. Um, but, no, the Corey Joke story is cool because he went to high school in the Houston area. Well, I think he went to Friendswood, but still, that's in the Houston area. And um, he went to, you, you know, U of H, played baseball at Houston, and now he's with the Astros. And he doesn't look like, you know, He's not built like, oh, man, you look at that guy, and he's pretty, but he just hit. I mean, he had good numbers last year in the minor leagues, like hit 30-something homers, drove in almost 90 runs, stole 20, 30 bases. I mean, he did very well last year in the minor leagues. And so he just something to keep an eye on as an Astro fan, and I would think that he would be in a starting lineup again tonight, but I guess we'll see. Astros will play uh, Blue Jays tonight. Um, and Urquidy is starting. And so this weekend they play the Braves. I would think because of the way the rotation is falling, the Braves will see Hunter Brown, who's probably even pitching better than Javier right now. Javier hadn't been real sharp early on. Um, You know, it's early. I don't know what that means, but uh, he hadn't been real sharp. But Hunter Brown looks good, I, you know, uh, and – um. I think his his first outing was not good, but his last two outings for Framber were really good. He just didn't get any support. So that should be a good series. Again, the goal is just don't get swept. As long as I'm not getting swept, I'm good. If you get swept, then you really take putting yourself in position to kind of, you know, 
have to make up too much ground or not too much, but it's just not fun. It's just not fun to get swept as long you know, somebody was calling, you know, people overreact to everything. It's like calling the Rangers beating the Astros two out of three in Houston a statement series. How can you make a statement series when you, you don't even sweep the team? I mean, that's silly. Um, do I think the Rangers are good? Yeah, I've been saying that the whole offseason. So I'm not surprised the Rangers look good early because I think they are good. But if you don't sweep someone, then it's not a statement series. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that at all. So we'll see how. Uh, you know, one more, two more games with the Blue Jays off on Thursday, like it's become a routine of late, and then the Braves on the road this weekend. And then they play the Rays next week. So it's kind of a tough schedule the Astros are on. They better keep starting Corey Jolts. Apparently that makes a difference. That's it for hour number one, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, now's the time to do it. A lot of interviews the rest of this hour. Uh, we've talked a lot of college sports because we had some interesting games tonight. Uh, if you just were listening, uh, the Cajuns will be going to LSU for baseball. McNeese will be hosting LSU in softball. And the Cajun softball team will also be playing tonight at home at Lansom, Lamson Park against um, Southeastern. Uh, you know, Southeastern is second right behind McNeese and the Southland standing. So we'll see how all of that plays out. We touched a little bit on the NBA. And tonight, there were two games last night. If you had not heard, the Kings won to go up 2-0. The Sixers won to go up 2-0. Three games tonight. The Hawks play the Celtics. The Knicks play the Cavaliers. And the Clippers play the Suns. I saw most of the second half of that Suns-Clippers game in game one. And it was, I thought, a great game. Wouldn't that, I mean, wouldn't that be, I think it'd be cool if the Clippers beat the Suns again. And the two teams that everyone was thinking are going to be the, the, you know, the two best teams or two of the three favorites in the, in the court of public opinion, not really in terms of seeds. Or I don't know. I don't. I didn't really study what Las Vegas said about it, but I think most people were thinking that the Warriors, maybe the Lakers, because some are really high on the Lakers, and the Suns were the teams to beat. And it would be funny if the Suns and the Warriors both started out 0-2. It would obviously be more crippling for the Suns because they're at home. I mean, the Warriors weren't a really good road team all year, and they lost two road games. So you can go back to the old cliche until someone wins a road game. You know, the series hadn't really started yet. That old cliche that people use, and there's a and there's some truth to that. Um, but if the Clippers win again, which I don't expect to happen, but if they would, 
That would be that'd be pretty jarring. You know, the best series of all of these might be the Knicks and the Cavaliers. The first game was really close. I mean, of all the series, that's the one that kind of has going the distance on it. Like, you could see that one being flip-flopping all the way through. You could see that happening. And if you're a Knicks or a Cavalier fan right now, chances are the Bucks will still come back and win. But if they don't, you be- the winner of that series, I'm thinking I'm doing this right, you become the one seed. Like, I don't think they recede. They don't recede. Yeah, so you become the one seed. Kind of, but you still wouldn't have home court if you ended up playing a two or a three later on. True. In that regard. But yeah, no, even if the Bucks win the series, you now at least have this like semblance of doubt in the hand, in, you know, with Giannis's health and whether or not he's going to be able to make this playoff run. So like those two teams both, yeah, you got to be, I mean, not that you felt dead before. I think both those teams probably think they have a chance. That's how you. But if you're a Nick fan, you got to feel better if than you, you win did. this yeah. game tonight. And you're feeling, you're like, man, something might actually happen here. Because unless you're just, you know, like Paul, kind of pie in the sky, Nick fan, um, overly optimistic is what I mean by that. Um, you thinking, yeah, we're having a really nice season. Brunson's been great. Um, you know, it's been a really nice season for the Knicks based on most seasons they've had in the last 40 years. But. The dot the the op you know the top two or three seeds in our conference are so strong. There's only so far we can go. Well, now with the Bucks, you know maybe you could at least argue in limping a little bit. There's a hint of a doubt there. And if you you know I, again, I don't expect the Knicks to win tonight. Most teams who play at home, if you lose the first game, you're going to win the second one. It's a pretty good bet, unless there's some sort of you know you've lost your best player or something like that. Um, but this was just an even, which it should be an even series. It's a 4-5 series. So it's an even series. The Knicks won a close game. And you, you kind of feel like, my, you know, if I had to guess, the Cavs will probably win a close game here. But if the Knicks do win, then, man, that their whole outlook changes. Got I would think changes a little bit. They would, uh, they would have a pretty good opportunity. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the NFL draft. Again, we're nine days away. I don't know, you know, a lot of people, I, I of late haven't done one, but a lot of people fill out brackets for the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't know how many people actually try to do a mock draft. I try to do one each year. And it, it, it's more like the baseball. Well, I guess the NCAA tournament's like that, too, because a lot of people get most games wrong in the NCAA tournament, or at least a lot of games wrong. Um, I think in the first round, this was an unusual year in that a lot of high seeds got beat. But usually in the first round, you could at least get the majority of them right um, in the first round. And then as it goes on, then you might you have a chance to get the majority of your picks right. Not everybody does that, of course. But in in in, uh, in doing a mock draft, if there are thirty one or thirty two this year, there's only thirty one out of the thirty one. I mean, if you get six, seven, or eight right, you're doing good. So, 
Uh, man, if the if the Texans don't pick a quarterback at two, that's going to blow a lot of people's mock draft. Many people might only get one right the rest the whole thing if that happens. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Foot. Howdy, sir. Uh, it's raining in Abbeville. Is it coming this way? Come, if you come over here, I got an extra umbrella for you, okay? Oh, okay. Seriously. Brand new, I'd give you. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, there's one uh, question or a couple of questions in a statement. Are you ready? What is the difference between uh, 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 wisdom Oh man, I forgot. And and knowledge. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, you 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 don't have to be very intelligent to be wise. You know, I, I tell I, you know I tell my son I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I have a little bit of wisdom. So I think All knowledge right. is more like um, you know a lot of information or whatever the subject is. Wisdom is knowing how to use. The, the information that you have. That a, is, that's pretty close, but right. uh, my buddy gave the best answer. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Three, three letters, Foot. Age. A-G-E. Age. Uh, <laughs> if you, that if, works. If you don't be learning something every day and getting a lot more, you know, wisdom and knowledge, uh, you know, you're not paying attention. Amen? I, I agree, but that works for most people, but there are plenty of people, yeah. even when they're old, they still don't get it. Okay. Um, foot. Um, you know, I know, I knew you were a pretty religious guy, correct? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Um, I had, a, I had a vision and, you know, I kind of, okay. <clears throat> Are you ready for this? One? I don't know. I don't know if I'm God, ever ready for Wait, wait, wait. Go God ahead. said he could fix stupid, but it's going to hurt. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm putting that on a bumper sticker foot. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty nice. Okay, Yadi Molina. Okay. You familiar with him? Absolutely. 325 games Adam Rain, uh, Wainwright started. The record will never be broken. Molina was his catcher every game. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be a, tough. Yeah, that'll be tough. That one will be tough to break. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, I just got one more question foot. You know, whenever I call, you know, I talk to you about our poor buddy Pete, you know, and, uh, you know, eating the corn and everything. I'm just wanting to know, do you enjoy when I call? Seriously. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, okay, I, but, but I'm because, bracing myself what? because I never know, like, from what corner the, the conversation is going to go. Like, <laughs> just yeah, have no idea keep, where it's, where it's coming you on from. Your toes. Yeah. Oh, no, you definitely do that. Yeah. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, Foot. Come okay. on, man. Well, you I'm know? wise but, enough but, to uh, know that it could go in any direction. But I appreciate right. it. Take care. Now, I'm going to make a prediction. Okay, Foot, may I? Yes. LSU by 10 tonight. Oh, that's a, yeah, that could happen. That could happen. Oh, yeah. LSU by 10. All okay, right, that could because, happen. Uh, UL just ain't got it. Well, okay. we'll, well they the certainly are struggling right it. now. The ain't got it. Uh, LSU by 10. Have a good day. Uh, all right. Take care. No, the Cajuns are, again, I don't know. I mean, look, Kyle, you could argue Kyle DeBorge is their best player. He's certainly their biggest leader probably on the team. And even if he plays tonight, I don't know that he's really ready to play. They tried to play him on Friday. He batted once or twice. He struck out. It, it wasn't 
it, he wasn't himself, and so they got him out, and he didn't play again. Um, so he's not ready. Until he gets back to being Kyle DeBarge, which hopefully he can this year. You just never know. I mean, um, Coach Deggs mentioned it um, yesterday on our show and again that it's an injury where he's seen guys with this injury be out the entire year, and he's seen people come back in a week or two. And so it's been about three to four weeks for Kyle now, and so it's, you know, I don't know. Until he comes back, they're certainly not going to be as good as they can be. Um, and Julian Brock, who you could also argue is their best player, uh, certainly in the top three, uh, and you could argue he's their most important. Well, those are your shortstop and your catcher. You're probably your two most important defensive players, and they're both outstanding hitters and defensive, and they're valuable. And if he doesn't play because he's been sick, and I thought um, Coach Deggs had a good line that if you have a stomach flu, catcher's a tricky position to be playing. <laughs> but a stomach flu, you can uh, just imagine that. So if he doesn't play, you know, obviously their chances are not good at all, even worse. And, you know, you could argue even with them, they don't they don't have good chances because LSU is ranked number one in the country. But uh, without them, they just, you know, there's a lot of outs in the lineup. And so, you know, you just go play the game and see what happens. I mean, again, it's it's uh, it is what it is. All right, let's do this. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, shift gears. Talk to our old friend. Catch up with Gerald Broussard next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. All right. We it is time to get caught up again with our old friend Gerald Broussard. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And yourself? I, I, I've been out of town traveling a bunch, so I don't know what your temperature's like or how your blood pressure is. Or um, I mean, you survived a, 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 a draft, so it, I it's, think that's it, all going to be good. It, it, it's okay. I'm just a little. I'm getting more confused by the day. We're trying to predict what's going to happen in the NFL draft next weekend, and we're. But before we get to that, um, I want to get some thoughts because I know you were at the Cajun Spring Game a couple weeks ago and, you know, kind of saw it first half. I know it wasn't a real game, but as a former player and coach, you, you probably can – I know you could get a whole lot more out of what you saw than I did in my little chair in the corner of the deal there trying not to get hit and doing so effectively. <laughs> so, so, so – what what were one or two or three of the your biggest takeaways from it? Well, 
and and it, I was making an effort to see something. You weren't. <laughs> and so let's just go on record as saying that. I mean, you, dude, you can't bring a soccer bomb chair to a scrimmage that's indoor and know you're at, first of all, you're at ground level, so you're not going to be able to see. And then the second part is you go to sit. It's not like you're shack and you're, you can stand and look above everybody, and then all of a sudden you sit to be comfortable. But then I know it's I know it's not about you, but I'm looking at you over there and say, okay, they're safe, and then they're just kind of saying, I'm here, and you were just there. <laughs> well, the minute they went, the minute they went from Cajun Field to the indoor, I knew I wasn't going to see anything because I, I just like I know sports writers who cover game high school football games from the field. I'm like, I don't know how y'all do it. I can't see anything when I'm on the field. But anyway, go ahead. Now, but I, I was actually coaching for, and I promise I'll get I'll stop telling stories. I was coaching for a guy a while back, and he was arguing, not arguing, but he was on the sideline being very critical. And, he, and I told him, I said, Coach, you sound like one of the fans. And he said, well, maybe I ought to be like one of the fans. I said, yeah, but you're a fan with a bad seat. <laughs> I said, you can't even see right here. You know, we were on the sideline exactly. for it. But anyway, get off of that. No, the, I, I liked a lot of things that I saw. I think that there were some, some receivers in there. I was not familiar with some of the names. Still not familiar with them. I go back through as we get closer to the season and stuff like that. that I saw him make some plays. I think that Zeon Chris, I think we saw some of the things that we anticipated seeing. One thing that I was very impressed with him about was his accuracy no matter who he was throwing to and it kept he threw to everybody only quarterback you know that so he he, he threw some very accurate underneath stuff some of the now throws it was it was catch and get gone and it was hitting guys in stride and then threw some really nice deep balls now a couple of his throws looked like a freshman just trying to get the ball into a tight window or maybe even ill-advised on a couple but so I, I, I thought that was good. Again, like what I saw, the defense made a few plays and showed a lot of speed uh, in, in the secondary at second and third levels, which, you know, that's, that should not be surprising. I mean, the Cages have always been able to run. But, uh, you know, there were some good things in there. I think that one of the surprises I had was just I think there's going to be some, a little more depth in the offensive line than I thought there was going to be with, with names that I'm not familiar with, but with guys who, you know, on the hook can fill the spot and look like they had the ability to be able to, to transfer into being, you know, good Sunbelt linemen. And, and the, you know, the, the defensive line gives you a good, uh, a good barometer every day. Cause we know the Cajuns have been able to, to be good on the defensive side of football. So a little more depth than I thought we would see, because spring is always questionable depth wise, cause you're going against yourself. But, um, no, I, I, I liked it, and uh, you know, I, I wish Kenny would have kicked better. But Kenny's been kind of a gamer. I'm Andaris. I'm talking about right. You know, uh, Logan Coates won the kicking competition, uh, but you know, I, I wish Kenny would have been. And look, I'm just a fan. I like Kenny. He's a he's a nice guy. He's a good kid. But um, you know, he, he's done well in the season. I'd like to see him practice better. But I can tell you this for a fact: the worst kick I ever saw in practice was Brett Bear. He was terrible, but he was a gamer. Make yeah. a bunch in the games. So, man, I don't know if you noticed him, but the one of the things that made the I don't and it shouldn't because it has your physical stature doesn't always translate to how good of a player you are. But I had never seen Trey fight before. Man, he is huge. No, Purdy. No, I mean, he's, I'm like, he's look at that cat. Yes. Yeah. Well, they uh, and the Cajuns had a couple of those that came walking out, and I said, "All right, 
<laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, and Coach Stoker, you start, I'd rather look good getting off the bus. And I'm thinking I'd rather suck or look bad getting off the bus if you're not going to be good. You know, I, I want to look good if you're going to be good or look bad and be good is the best because they're going to say, oh, what a bad looking team. And then it's, it must be really good coaches. <laughs> you know, but uh, if, if if you got one of these Tarzans standing, standing next to you on the sideline, then they're, oh, well, Brian, he playing i'm thinking well that's the reason he's here you know but <laughs> been through a couple of those too man now i was choking one more thing on that i was choking with joking with coach des that i think they're about to trick me again because you know i've been a big neil johnson guy since the beginning because i love tight ends and and carter looks pretty good too i mean like i don't know if they've ever been more more ready to feature the tight end than this year very athletic and that's getting that's after not having johnny lumpkin you know, that's getting rid of Johnny Lumpkin, and you're saying that they're ready to feature the tight end. You know, no, I, I, I really do. I th- I'm telling you, I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw. Uh, you know, I, I, you, the names that we've heard for the past couple of years have been consistent through the past couple of years. So now seeing some new names and hearing some new names in there, it was nice. And some, some athleticism that you know can transfer – and, and look, it's all in how you develop in the spring and the summer and all that. We know that, but um, I, I no, I, it gave it gave me some excitement to get ready for the season. All right. So, in terms of the the draft, one of the things um, that's really again, I, I I struggle with. What do you believe? What, the hot rumor right now is that don't assume the Texans are going to take a quarterback number two. Do you buy that, or you think it's a smokescreen? I think it's well. I don't. I don't assume that I know anything. The Texans are going to do. You know, they've done. They've been on their third coach in three years, and they just keep paying out dead money. And and then they talk about being frugal with their stuff. I, the Texans need a quarterback. So uh, I mean, if they don't think there's one in the draft, they. I don't know that that uh, you know that they have the guy on the roster that's going to be able to win. I don't believe they do, but. I don't think you sit at two and, unless you want a quarterback. I mean, you can. I think there are other people that would like to move up to two. Yes, and you can probably get some picks with it. But I think whoever is at two, if it's not the tech, whoever is at two is taking a quarterback. Okay, so do you buy that it means something that C.J. Stroud's agent is Deshaun Watson's agent, and they just went through the ringer with that guy? with Deshaun Watson. I think you get over that if if he if you like the way I don't I don't think the the um the, you know the Texans did everything they could to try and keep Deshaun Watson. You know, they the, the part of the reason they hired David Culley was to keep Deshaun Watson. He knew him from high school. And and so that that part of it, you know, I think that got just got out of hand with him. I, I don't think that, that the agent part's gonna play that big a part into it if they think that CJ Stroud is their guy. I, I I think that they like I said, they need a quarterback. I think that you know, right right now you look at the, the what to me, Kev, is you got a couple of just freak shows out there physically, but the little guy is the guy everybody wants. And and um, it's just because he's he's well, he's the best player. But but and so, but Anderson, Carter, and Wilson are probably the best players in this draft. So if you're a defensive guy like D'Amico Ryan's, 
I, I'm starting. Look, I wasn't thinking this three weeks ago. I'm just saying I can. If you, why not get the best player in the draft at two, or trade down a couple spots and get maybe still get the best player in the draft at four or five, and then pick a quarterback at either then or at twelve. Well, and if if you think you can pull that off, and look, I know that I'm sure D'Amico Ryan's is thinking like you. Uh, Nick Grisari or whatever his name is, the GM, he, he's going to have to make something happen. Again, like I said, he's on his third coach in three years. They're only going to be so patient with that cat. And so, you know, they, I, 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 it's not like he can build for the future and the future is five years away. That's building for somebody else's future. So if he, if he can get both of those, then yeah, that's a perfect world. You know, but, but I, I just don't know what's in his head. You know, and look, if you're D'Amico Ryan, you know what D'Amico Ryan wants. I mean, dude, he's a defensive guy. You know what he wants. But I, he, he ain't making the pick. The GM is making the pick. That's fair. All right. Not, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm about to ask you a question, a general question. If you were running a show, would you ever pick a tight end in the first round? In, in, in general, no, I would not look for a tight end in the first round, unless it's just somebody that is a generational type player that you've never seen anything that you can put. I, I don't, you know, I say that, you know, Kelsey wasn't a first round guy, and Gronk wasn't a first round guy. You know, you you can you can get those guys. I mean, Kelsey was a high school quarterback that ended up couldn't play quarterback and then ended up becoming a tight end. Uh, and and so I think those are the two that that are just freak shows. And you sit and you look at some of the first round guys, and, and I like the guy uh, OJ whatever from Alabama that went to Tampa and stuff like that. But you know, do you ever really get one? Well, look at the Saints. I mean, Jimmy Graham is a perfect example of that. You know, and uh, no, just. In general, no, I would not. But, Kev, you don't want to know what I would take in the first round because you know what it's going to be. I'm going to take a tackle. Well, the thing is, I don't think, unless the Saints are, are planning on moving last year's first-round pick to, to to guard, which I guess is theoretically possible, but I don't think they'll do that yet. But but as the days go on, I, I think Osiris Torrance for the Saints, unless they plan on really re-signing Pete long-term, Makes as much sense as any pick right now. It really does, and 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 I wouldn't have thought that a, a month ago, but I I think it's kind of fallen that way. From and look, we don't know. I mean, we're only hearing what we hear from the mocks and seeing what we see from what, and that's just people. You know, a lot of the mocks are going based on what they they think they know, but nobody's going to tell them. Uh, and some of the other people have an have an inflated sense of their their worth. Uh, because they're just simply guessing that people keep it too quiet and under the hat. They just don't want to know. But but just looking at who needs what, when, and where, Osiris fits. And the, he, he's going to be there for a long, long time, wherever he goes. You know, he's just going to be there for a long, long time with somebody. And I say what I say about the tackle spot just because I think that, you know, guards are, are – are, you know, they, it sounds so bad to say, but, you know, they, they come around every year. You can get a second-round guard that's going to play for 15 years, you know, but them tackles. And if you study the draft and stuff, those those are the guys who last the longest and make the most sense and end up being the, the most productive guys. No, I get um, it. And I also think it's possible that the Saints could get Osiris at 40. 
I do too. Because he's a goal. I do too. Yep. And it's just, you never know where the run comes on what, but it's, you know this, it ain't going to come on a guard. You're not going to have all of a sudden a rash yeah. of guards going off the board. <laughs> no, that, or centers. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. All righty, sir. Well, I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, be safe in all your travels. I'll do it. Y'all have fun. Take care, bro. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game we have with us, our friend, Mr. Bobby Nova. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you this morning? Oh, you know, I'm uh, Astros won last night, so things are, are, are better. Um, you know, you never want to lose, and you never want to lose one of your rivals, and you never want to get your face crushed on national TV. So Sunday wasn't the most fun in the world. Uh, even though it was what it was, but it, it's always fun to bounce back with a win. Right, and the Yankees didn't lose last night either. <laughs> they won what two to nothing? No, they lost. They didn't play. Oh, that's true. I'm thinking of the Braves. All right, all right. So Cajuns played a night and at home against Southeastern, and it's kind it's kind of interesting because. It, we probably haven't discussed it enough, but what's the what the playing Southeastern is kind of brought to the forefront because they're like fourth or fifth in the country, something like that, in stolen bases, is the point that Coach Glasgow, Coach Glasgow, Coach Glasgow has been um, pointing out how they've done a better job of not giving up stolen bases, and a lot of people have been wondering maybe why Vic. Tory has been playing more at catcher, and I think that's the answer to that question. Yeah, I think you're right, Kevin. You know, Texas State came in, and they're a team that like to play, you know, small ball, and uh, Victoria Valdez kind of shut down their running game. I mean, they had a lot to do with the Cajuns getting early leads in a couple of those games also. You know, it's kind of hard to run when uh, when you get behind early, but uh, you might see a track meet tonight, I mean. Southeastern has stolen more bases than the Cajuns have attempted. Southeastern has stolen 122 bases. Yeah, they uh, so uh, far this season, and the Cajuns have uh, stolen 90. So they see a little run in the night. And you know, you know that you're going to get thrown out some when you run that much. And I, I think Coach Glasgow knows that, but I think he's willing to do it to create a tempo. It's kind of like a basketball team that wants to get the game up and down the floor. They're okay if they're going to miss shots and, and turn it over some. they just trying to get the tempo in their favor. Yeah, and, and you know, his aggressive style, it, it pays off. You know, fans remember when it doesn't, you know, when it doesn't work. And, but it works a lot more often than it doesn't work. So, um, you know, the Cajuns have stolen 90 out of 111. So they've been thrown out 21 times. Uh, Southeastern has been thrown out 30 times. So uh, it's going to be fun to see, you know, it'll be interesting tonight. I think success in running 
at times and the pressure you put on the team and the errors and the mistakes that it forces that team um, to, to commit at times overshadows how good or bad you actually swing in the bat sometime. And I think this past weekend was an example. Yeah, yeah. The Cajuns uh, put some um, pressure on the uh, Texas State defense. And, you know, you saw Maya Davis getting to third, first to third on a couple of uh, stolen base attempts. And that just continuously puts pressure on the opponent's defense. And hopefully that's what we're going to see again tonight because Southeastern, you know, they don't feel very well. Now they've committed, they've committed 51 errors. On the season, they're fielding like 953, I think. So, wow. I think if the Cajuns, uh, 955, actually, they've committed 56 errors. So, uh, if the Cajuns can put some, you know, get some base runners on and, and put pressure on, on the, uh, Southeastern defense, I think the Cajuns will be in, uh, pretty good shape tonight. You know, we, we, we spent some time and deservingly so talking about how, you know, the opportunity of playing Baylor and playing A&M and playing Texas State. But but Southeastern's RPI is 67, and Troy's RPI is 49. So, I mean, it's a, that's a little worse than what Texas State was, but I don't know that Troy's any worse than Texas State might be better. Yeah, you know, um, continuing to get some, uh, some pretty good RPI games, you know, you – I think the only team we play the rest of the season with RPI out of uh, the top 100 is going to be uh, UL Monroe. You know, they were like, I think they were 102 uh, going into last weekend, and they got swept by Southern Miss, who had not won a conference game going into the weekend. So, uh, you know, uh, the ULM series is going to probably be the only one, the only team we face the rest of the way with an RPI out of 100, and so you got to keep winning. Uh, that's the only thing you have control over, and the only thing you can worry about is just keep winning, and uh, you see what, what happens, and you see what the committee is going to do, you know, and uh, you probably, it looks like at this point you may get your wish, Kevin. We, we, we may not host as a 16 seed. Well, I sure hope not. But anyway, <laughs> um, all right, so you, you mentioned how there's, there's still, even though the toughest part of the schedule is over with, other than Monroe, there, you're still going to be facing top 100 RPI teams. But even with that, I feel like there's, I feel like there's some experimentation that's fixing to happen over the next three weeks. Uh, you know, still at third base, maybe a little at short, although they've moved Alexa back to short, and they've been playing Jordan at second. Maybe in left field uh, a little bit, although Coach Lacey pointed out yesterday how, depending on who's pitching, left field is a pretty important position, and that's the reason why Kramer, SJ play, and Kayla Faltman play out there sometime because they're the you know the other best defensive outfielders. But do you feel like there's still going to be some more experimenting to try to get the best bats in the lineup without sacrificing defense too much? Well, last weekend, Kevin, I, I kind of started to get the feeling that Coach Glasgow was, you know, comfortable with the way he he managed the roster last weekend. And I mean, that just kind of remains to be seen if if we're going to continue to see uh, him continue to uh, manage the roster he did last weekend. But um, you know, it seemed like to work very well against the three games against Texas State, and we'll see. Uh, 
when we get that lineup tonight if if he if he continues to go the same way. But you know, again, I, 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 they certainly look. They won all three games, and you want to win. But the team didn't hit at all this weekend. Like I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, they had their lineup set. That was great to see." What they didn't hit. So, I, I, I don't, I don't. I, I'm not. I, I'm. I don't know that I'm comfortable with it because now maybe they're going to start hitting, and 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 that could happen. Like if you start, okay, Jordan, we're going to put you at second base for three weeks and see what happens. And maybe by the end of that, she'll start hitting. But she hit two thirty last week. That's not hitting. Well, uh, she hit better than that over the weekend, though. I'm pretty sure. I have to kind of look at. Uh, but I remember her, you know, making some good contact and. She got a couple of hits, and Texas State pitches, you know, fairly well. So that may have had some something to do with the way the Cajuns hit. Um, you know, they hit enough, Kevin. I think the game, you know, the Saturday game, uh, you know, they certainly didn't didn't do a great job of hitting up until you know those two pinch hit home runs. But uh, hitting's not really one of my concerns, to be honest with you, at this point. I mean, we've been talking about it all year, how much talent they have on this team. And uh, everybody wants to play. We all know that. And I think Coach Glasgow in the last couple of weeks has done a uh, – has gotten more comfortable with the way he uses his roster. I don't know if you agree with that or no, not. No, I – That's kind of what I'm saying. I, I think he is. I'm just – let me – I'll ask you one more question. Do you think this team can do what it needs to do for the rest of the way, especially when in the postseason, if without Sophie Pisco's bat in the lineup? Personally, I'd like to see her in the lineup, you know, a little bit more often, getting a few more at-bats. But um, I think the answer to your question is, is is yes, if he uses her the way he's used her in the past couple of weeks and, you know, in those pitch-hitting roles. And, you know, there was a game in Texas where she – came in and, and pitched it like in the fourth inning and then she stayed behind the plate for the rest of the game. And I think it I think it's gonna have to do with the opponents and and how much they run and you know, she she is dealing with a a little bit of a hand injury on her catching hand and I'm not so sure if that has anything to do with with the way he's been using her or not, but she's more comfortable swinging the bat than she is behind the plate, I think, at this time with that with that hand injury. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens again to play again tonight uh, at Southeastern at home and then play a Troy team who's better than I think some people perceive over the weekend. So we'll see. Continue to uh, ha- hope you have a yeah. safe trip to Alabama and um, bring home some Are we going to see you tonight or are you, you heading to Baton Rouge? I'm going to be in Baton Rouge. Yes, I figured that. But good deal. And, uh, you know, Troy's not a bad team. They just uh, last weekend they did struggle. Uh, they, I think they lost two out of three last weekend, and um, and then the following weekend, Kevin, you know that's not an easy series either. Going to uh, Coastal Carolina, you never know what you're going to get in that uh, that little uh, matchbox ball, ball ballpark that they have. And, you know, we went there in uh, 2020 right before the season was shut down, and uh, with with Summer Ellison and Megan Kleist, and they and we got beat a game over there, so. You never know what's going to happen in that little ballpark. All righty, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. All right, Kevin. Thanks.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Just have a few minutes left as we continue to set the stage for an interesting Tuesday. Once again, Cajun baseball will be in Baton Rouge. Take on LSU. Uh, Cajun softball will be at home and take on Southeastern. McNeese softball hosting LSU. Does McNeese baseball play tonight? I forgot to check on that because I was focusing on those other games. But... um, you know they're 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 in a, a a pretty interesting situation as all as well. And in fact, they might have the most interesting of all the races that we talk about. Southland Conference baseball might be the most interesting. Now, obviously, SEC is the most high profile, but um, it, the way the Southland Conference race is shaped out, it's been more interesting than I think a lot of us thought going in. We'll see how that goes on down the stretch. Astros will play Blue Jays again tonight. And after winning last night's game, and so we'll uh, we'll see. I I kind of hope they can win one of the. I mean, I always want to win, but you 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 hope you win this series to where if you can at least win one, then you you get through a pretty tough week and in, in pretty good shape, no matter how it goes. You know, I wanted to bring it up to you because I I saw it on the Sunday night baseball broadcast, um, and it's not something I guess I I knew already, but I you you don't think about it. Did you see the graphic where every Astros starting pitcher is homegrown and every Rangers starting pitcher in their rotation is a free agent acquisition? Even more than that, yeah, because McCullers as well as wasn't included in that graphic. E- well, even more than that, overall the Astros. I saw it earlier. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the Astros have more homegrown players on their team than any team in baseball. And not I think, just pitchers, just right. the overall roster. I, I, I mean, I, I figured that they were even more be so, pretty high. I guess I was going to say Tampa. I guess they they find guys they like that play pro ball and they trade for them while they're still in the minors. Yes. I guess that's where you get some of that. Yes. But yeah, that's the other thing too. Like if Tampa came to me and wanted to trade for somebody, it's like New England. We used to say for a while in the NFL, I'd be like, well, well I don't know if I want to trade that guy anymore. If you want him. Because what do you know about him that I don't know? No, what I said I've said that in the past. If Tampa calls and trade and asks for a, pl- a request, if he's a hitter, you either if he's on the bench, you put him in the starting lineup. If he's at the bottom of the order, you move him to the top of the and you do not trade with them because they're smarter than you. You just know that going in, you're gonna get the raw end of the deal. You're just gonna and and just move the guy up. Now I say that mo- kind of in jest and kind of seriously. The point is that a lot of these guys, if they stay with their teams, they wouldn't do as well as if that than they would by going to Tampa and playing the way they play. Yeah, and the Astros have have been, you know, prime kinda example like of that, that with pitching as well. With the, with yes, the spin rate and you know some of the things they've been able to do to kind of, you know, I mean they they resurrected certain guys' careers, right? Charlie Morton, I mean, was was going nowhere. He came to Houston and all of a sudden he found four extra miles an hour. 
it goes back to the you know the 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 thing that I bring up from time to time. What Bum Phillips used to say he said the great coaches can beat them with you can be they can beat you with yours, and then they can take with theirs, and then they can take yours and still beat you. That's what a great coach is. Which is my argument on a different subject. We don't want to go down that road. But but no, I the Rays are like that. They're just smarter than everybody else. And um, the Astros are not that far behind them. Like they they have figured out how to win without the most high priced guys. And I like the fact that they have the highest percentage of homegrown talent. Yeah, and, and well kind of the difference between the Astros and the Rays would then be that the Astros have have been willing to finish the puzzle with a couple of free agent pieces like Verlander and, you know, like now right. this year, Jose Abreu, whereas the Rays have to do it entirely on being smarter than you. So that's maybe why the Astros have been to six ALCSs and won two World Series, and the Rays haven't quite gotten over the hump in, in at the very end of it. But you know what? A lot of people were like, and look, we've only played a couple of weeks, okay? But a lot of people were like, the Rays need to go out and get bats, and the Rays said, we were so miserable last year offensively, but I still think our guys underachieved and they're actually better than that. And so far, they've crushed the ball. Now, again, it's a small sample size, but they might be saying, instead of going out and spending a bunch of money on guys we don't really know about, we think we can really hit with these guys. We just had an awful season for whatever reason. You know, maybe they know. But they did not spend money when a lot of people thought they were going to spend some money finally to get some hitters. Look, a couple years ago, they traded for Nelson Cruz, who's hit his whole career. He went to Tampa. He didn't hit. So they might say, you know, I, I think our own guys, can. we can just make them better. And so far, it's worked out that way. So uh, a lot, of, as they say, a lot of different ways to do it. And... um the Rays certainly figure out a way. I just hope that somehow the Astros can beat them at least two out of three next week. We'll see how that goes. Appreciate the phone calls. Y'all have a nice evening.